Today's Nachyomi is Shemuel Aleph, Perik Dalet, which is where we left off. This series is sponsored by Ariel Kalati and family in memory of Dorina Kalati Zechonali Bracha. Very, very special person. It's an honor to have her name uh, connected with our learning and, uh, and also sponsored by Charlotte Cheverdi for the Hatzlacha of Yeshivat Deava Skil for the success of all of our learning and our sharing of Divrei Torah. And we wish her lots of Bachava Hatzlacha as well. Today we'll be on, uh, as I said, Shmuel Aleph. Perik Dalid. The last thing that happened was the the doomsday prophecies of uh, of the uh, a first an anonymous navi that the midrashim identify with Elkanah. Then Shmuel himself has a prophecy about the downfall of the sons of Eli, and uh, and we see that Shmuel begins to become established in his own right as an authority as a spiritual leader of Israel. The word of Shmuel was went out to all of Israel, meaning. That uh, that now the way that Rashi interprets it is that Vahid Devar Shmuel Echol Yisrael means that the thing that Shmuel predicted happened to Israel uh, the way that uh, the way that he said. In other words, that here is now the fulfillment of the prophecy that was uh, that was revealed to Shmuel in the dream that was discussed in the uh, in the previous uh, in the previous parak. Um, so meaning the the connection between the previous parak and the current parak is that the uh, initial prophecy of Shmuel, meaning in between, Shmuel has become established as a navi for all kinds of different things, as the uh, as the navi recounted before. In other words, the text told us that he was being consulted for all sorts of things, and he became a well established navi. But his original prophecy had not yet been fulfilled. Now it's about to be fulfilled. There was a war, as always, between the Israel and the Plishtim. They camped at Ha'even Ha'ezer, and the Plishtim were encamped at Afek. The, uh, the Plishtim arranged themselves in battle against Israel, and the, Jewish, the Jews, uh, basically, as the uh, battle became intense vayinagef yisrael if neplishtim they the vayinagef means they were they were stricken in other words they were uh, suffering terrible losses uh, as the as the forces of the plishtim spread out the jews were being struck down vayakuba marachab basadek arbat alafim ish four thousand soldiers died on that day on the battlefield vayevo amel amachane and so the people gathered in the camp vayomruzik ne yisrael and the elders of Israel said the following: Why has Hashem caused us to be struck down today before the Plishtim? Let us take from Shiloh the Aron of the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant of Hashem will come in our midst, and will save us from our enemies. Now, this is very, very important, and I think it's easy to under. Uh, underestimate or understate the significance of this particular dialogue or discussion that's going on here. That the elders of Israel, which means people who supposedly knew the most, people who would have been the educated ones, the most experienced ones, the most knowledgeable ones, they were saying, why is God causing us to be struck down? Because we don't have the Aron with us, but if we bring the Aron, it's magically going to save us. That was the solution that they believed uh, existed for their problem. That what was missing was bringing the Aron into battle with them. 
Now, this is obviously a type of a magical thinking. This is a kind of a thi- of thinking that was, uh, was prevalent among the Jewish people at the time of B'nai Eli. In other words, this itself is not the cause of the problem, but is a symptom of the spiritual decadence and the spiritual failing at the time of the uh, sons of Eli, that this is how people thought of religion. Just like they thought a korban is magical. I bring a korban, the Kohen takes his piece of meat and magically God is happy with me and that's how it works. There's no demand on the individual of becoming better, improving themselves, praying, learning, tzedakah, any of the values that we know actually transform our relationship with God and therefore make us worthy of greater blessing. Like I mentioned in the, in the previous installment of Nachyomi, that uh, this was what Shmuel said to Eli, that the, uh, that the sin of the Bnei Eli would not be corrected by a korban. And what did the rabbis say? It could only be corrected by tefillah, by Torah, or by tzedakah, meaning by mitzvot that transform the person, not by simply doing the same mechanical actions again and again. That's not going to save you. What's going to save you is a transformational experience, some transformational mitzvah, some mitzvah that changes who you are and how you see the world and what your values are. You see what their values were. They thought that the Aron was a magical uh, kind of a kamea, kind of a magical talisman or something like that, that if they brought it into battle with them, God would be with them. There was no sense of maybe the reason why God is not with us is because of some failing of us that we're lacking in our knowledge of God, we're lacking in our proper observance of mitzvot, we're lacking in being on the on the derech Hashem, we're not on the way of God, we're not on the proper path. They didn't think of some introspection. They thought that the reason God is not with us is because we didn't bring our magical Aaron with us into battle. And that tells you everything you need to know about the level of education and the level of understanding of Judaism that even the elders of Israel had at the time of Mene Eli. And of course, they weren't doing anything to remedy that because on the contrary, being a person who, anyone who would believe other than that wouldn't have accepted the Bnei Eli to be their leaders. And it was, in order to have people like the Bnei Eli be your spiritual leaders, you have to be a person who looks at religion in a more materialistic, transactional way that I do certain rituals or behaviors and God rewards me for those behaviors and it just happens to be that it has to be through the Kohanim and they take their piece of the action and you know the altar gets its piece of the action. In other words, all of this is part of a way of thinking of religion as a um, mechanical operation of getting blessing from God by doing certain things, a transactional process, that's the only way B'nai Eli could be in charge when it's, a, when it's that kind of a situation. But in a, circum, in, a, in a religion where there was a moral or intellectual or spiritual expectation of the leaders, uh, B'nai Eli wouldn't have been able to survive. So of course they didn't want to tell the people uh, if they knew, if they understood, they wouldn't have wanted the people to have a more sophisticated understanding of Judaism because that would have led to them being rejected. They're banking on and relying on the people's very limited understanding of Judaism uh, in order to succeed. So they sent to Shiloh and they brought from there the Aaron of the covenant of Hashem Tzivaot Yosheva Kuvim, the one who is above the angels. In other words, the Navi, when it's describing it, is describing that Hashem is transcendent. Hashem is Hashem Tzivaot, the one who is the master of all of creation. Hashem is Yosheva Kovim, is beyond the angels. He's not someone, uh, a, a, a being that comes along with the Aron, that when you have the Aron, God is near you. It's an Aron of the covenant between us and this transcendent God. It isn't God himself. And it came along with a package deal, which was 
Bnei Eli, the two Bnei Eli came together with the Aron into battle. In other words, they were endorsing this course of action. This course of action found favor in their eyes because thinking that the Aron had this kind of power, that the Kohanim had this kind of power, that they were the ones who would, would determine your success or your failure in battle because of the special uh, uh, influence that they have, because of the special divine grace that they have, that itself fed into the whole image that the Bnei Eli wanted the people to buy into. And so they come along, The earth was shaking because when the Aron came, the people were crying out in great joy that the Aron was here, now we're going to win. But the only thing was, What is this great sound in the camp of the, of the Hebrews? Said the Plishtim. They became aware that the Aron of God had come into the Machane, had come into the camp. Now look at how interesting it is. The Plishtim were afraid. Why? Now God is with them in the camp. Oh, now we're really in trouble. They even said something in Yiddish. Oy. They said, we're worried. What is it? This wasn't the case before. Before we were just fighting against the Jews. Now we got to fight against God. Who is going to be able to save us from these powerful gods? These are the gods, or this is the God, depending on whether they meant, whether they really meant that they thought that the Kruvim on top of the Aaron were two different gods. Or they were referring to God in the plural. It's not exactly clear. But this is the God or the gods that struck Egypt with all the Makot. And Bamidbar, obviously at Yamsuf, was the most famous one. So the Plishtim are afraid. Why? Because they think that now God is with the Jews. So what's the irony here? The Plishtim and the Jews basically share the same theology. They have the same philosophy. In other words, the Jews think that now because we have the Aaron, we have God with us. And maybe on an even more primitive level, but basically the same line of thinking, the Plishtim think that now God is with the Jewish people also, and they've got to be afraid. Be men, Plishtim. Lest you have to serve the Jews like they served you. Be men and fight. This time, 30,000 soldiers were lost. They lost again. Not only that, but the altar, the Aaron of God, the Ark of God was taken. The two sons of Eli died. Exactly as Shmuel had predicted in his prophecy. A messenger from Binyamin came from the battle. He came to Shiloh and his clothing was torn, his, his uniform or his clothes. He had dirt on his head which showed mourning. And He was facing, the, the, the Eli was watching and waiting to see what would happen and when they would come back. Notice, he wasn't so worried about his own kids. But about the Aaron, he was worried. He was worried about the Aaron. The man came to tell the story in the city and everyone was crying out. So 
So Eli was sitting there like he hears a tumultuous goings on. He says, what, what's happening? What's the news? We already knew that he was losing his eye, eyesight before. Now he completely became blind. And uh, he's 98 years old, which even now is a pretty advanced age. Back then would have been very, very advanced age. The man said, I ran from the battlefield. He said, what happened, my son? The Jews ran from before the Plishtim. There was a great plague, meaning a lot of people died. And your two sons died. And the Ark of God was taken. So all of this bad stuff happened. And it was what he mentioned, the Ark of God. At that moment when he heard that the Aaron was taken, Eli fell backwards in his chair, broke his neck and he died. Because he was very heavy and old, so it was easy. His death came swiftly. He had been the leader of Israel for 40 years. Meanwhile, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Pinchas, became, uh, went into labor. And she heard that the Aaron had been taken and that her father-in-law and her husband both died. At that moment, she went to give birth. At the moment she died, the women who were attending to her said, Don't worry, you had a son. She didn't answer, she didn't pay attention to them. She named him Ikavod. There is no honor to say, And as if to signify that the Aaron had been taken as well as her father-in-law and her husband. And then she said, glory has departed from Israel because the Aaron of God was taken. So the interesting thing here is that in both cases, both Eli and the wife of Pinchas seem to put more emphasis on the loss of the Aaron than on the loss of Chufni and Pinchas themselves or the loss of the war. In other words, Eli doesn't seem very surprised that they lost the war. He also doesn't seem surprised that his two sons died. Now we can explain that because Eli is aware of the low spiritual level of the nation. He hasn't done much to fix it, but he is cognizant of the problems that are going on. He realizes his sons are destined to die, that they have not found favor in God's eyes, and that their deaths will happen on the same day. That's not going to come as much of a surprise to him. The Aaron being taken is in his eyes the great tragedy of the whole situation. Now we can look at that in one of two ways. We can look at that as, as, as a negative or a positive. We can look at it as he attached so much significance to a physical object that it got lost. The Aaron, yes, it's important, but how could after hearing of all the deaths of the Jewish people and the tragedy on the battlefield and the loss of life, that the thing that you recognize is lost is the Aaron Hashem. It almost sounds like he's buying into the same attitude as the people on the battlefield. That's one way of reading it. One way of reading it is that just like everyone else thought that the Arona Elohim was like 
the most spectacular magical entity, and now it was lost. When they, when it came out to war, they thought it was the solution to their problems, and it being lost is the greatest tragedy. It could be that he's buying into that kind of a perspective, in which case it would be a negative. On the other hand, it's possible to understand what Eli is saying as a recognition, basically a tzidukadin, that the ultimate loss here is that the presence of God has departed, which is signified, of course, by the Aaron, signified by the Aaron, the presence of Hashem being uh, resting in Israel is always signified by the Aaron. The loss of that, like it says, "I kavod, kavod, gala kavod mi Yisrael, that honor has departed from Israel, is that Eli understood that the real loss here was the disconnection between the, uh, the Jewish people and the presence of God, that the Aaron represented the presence of God dwelling among the Jewish people and now it was lost. And of all of the things that had happened, all of those things perhaps were of secondary significance relative to the uh, loss of the Aaron, because, not because the loss of life was insignificant, but because the loss of a particular battle, or even of his sons as, as leaders of Israel that he knew were very deeply flawed, even that could be rectified as long as the framework was there, as long as there was a framework still for the, uh, of having the Aaron present in Israel. So that meant that as long as there was a, as long as there was a framework there that was present for, uh, for reestablishing, in other words, for reconstituting the, uh, uh, the Bet HaMikdash or the, the uh, Mishkan under the leadership of Nukoanim, so that was, uh, that was somewhat of a consolation to Eli. In other words, the, we can look at it as positive, and I think most people, they read it as a positive. In other words, what he said was that the ultimate tragedy is the loss of the Aron, because that means the whole system is lost. The whole sense that God's presence dwells among the Jewish people is lost. And that is different. That's more significant than particular leaders or a particular battle or particular individuals is this relationship and what's represented by the Aron being in the, uh, in the Bet HaMikdash. And perhaps he thought he might have been, in other words, I presented the devil's I presented both sides. I presented the side you could critique Eli. But it could also be that he understood that the whole idea of bringing the Aron out to the battlefield was silly. And he understood that it was putting it at risk, that it wasn't a magic box, that it was really putting the Aron at risk. And therefore, he was against the idea, perhaps, of letting it go and be vulnerable in battle. He really wanted to keep it, uh, he really would have preferred to keep the, uh, the Aron back home, so to speak. And the fact that, uh, that it was lost to him was the ultimate tragedy, not because he thought it was a magical box, but because he thought that it meant that now the whole system of bringing the Jewish people closer to God was undermined and would be difficult to reconstitute. And so therefore he recognized what the true loss of glory was, which was the disconnect between Am Yisrael and Hashem. But what we're going to learn is that really this stage of losing the Aaron is formative for the Jewish people and is important for the Jewish people because they had to get it out of their system. They had to get the way that they were relating to Judaism out of their system. They had to focus away from the Aaron and away from the Kohanim and away from the ritualism of the Bet HaMikdash in order to rebuild a proper understanding of what it means to serve Hashem, what it means to fulfill the will of Hashem, what it means to follow the path of Torah. Because as long as they were attached to these kinds of uh, magical objects or to the idea that the Kohanim had certain magical powers irrespective of their low moral, ethical, or intellectual uh, caliber, so that was, that was itself a blockade that was 
was preventing them really from growing in their relationship with God. So we're going to see that the removal of the Aaron from the picture actually is a purging of that unhealthy relationship that they had with Hashem and with Torah and with mitzvot. And it's going to open up the, uh, the door to a reawakening, a rejuvenating of the Jewish people's religious consciousness and connection th- under the leadership of Shmuel, who is not a Kohen, and who is not going to do it through Korbanot, and is not going to do it through any kind of external uh, uh, rituals, but is going to do it through educating the people in the Derech Hashem. And this is what we see, that sometimes a loss, sometimes a tr- what seems like a tragedy, sometimes a loss, sometimes a, uh, uh, the absence of something really important to us that seems really important to us can be a great opportunity because it's an opportunity to rethink and to recalculate and to and to regroup. And that's what it was for the Jewish people. So as much of a tragedy as it was to see the Aaron leave, it was also an opportunity for the Jewish people to rebuild. And that indeed is what's going to happen under the leadership of Shmuel, as we will see. Bezvat Hashem next time, uh, in the next parak, what's going to happen, the Aaron will come back. But it never fully comes back. It only comes back halfway and actually isn't restored to its position of prominence until the days of David, much later, far at, long after this uh, loss of the Aaron transpires. In other words, Shaul never goes to retrieve the Aaron. Only David brings it finally to regain its proper uh, position in the uh, Beit HaMikdash or in what would f- be the Beit HaMikdash in the future. Only when the Jewish people are ready to have a healthy relationship with things like a Beit HaMikdash, with things like an Aaron, with things like Kohanim, can they have such institutions. Because when their relationship with it is distorted, then they're going to have a relationship with Hashem that is also distorted. So Bezvat Hashem will continue in, the, in chapter uh, 5, Perakei, uh, with the uh, uh, further development of the story of the Aaron.